Today we continue our series on the church called Ecclesia uh, by looking at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease in giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Church family and guests. It's great to see you today. My name is Paul Lawler. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here at Christ Church. As we welcome you this morning, before we dive into the teaching, just brief conversation with you. First of all, uh, many of you, most all of you are aware that we have a disaffiliation vote as a church family coming up on October 30th. And it's important that all of you are aware you have to be a member and a pres- and be present to vote uh, at 9.45 a.m. in Seabrook on October 30th. And today uh, is the last day to join the church to be eligible to vote uh, on that day. Now, I need to clean up after that a little bit. Uh, and as a pastor and one God has entrusted to preach the gospel and to teach the church, Uh, If your only motivation to join the church is to vote, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider not uniting with this church. If God has called you to this church family and you've made a profession of faith in the person of Jesus Christ, and this is where you have been living out your faith in connection with his body, then all means you are invited uh, to uh, formally join this church. Secondly, we are going to spend two weeks in the passage that Grant read this morning, uh, today and next week, and it's important for you to know that because in light of sharing in the Lord's Supper this morning, um, the teaching will be briefer. And so, uh, so when I wrap up, you, you know, if you turn and say, Marge, what happened? At least you have context uh, that you know that it's a little shorter because we're going to share Uh, in the Lord's Supper together. So as we uh, journey into this, I'm going to be focusing on those closing verses that describe Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Would you pray with me for just a moment? Now, Lord, we pray that transcendent power of the Holy Spirit would move among us and that when we quote the scripture, may we live move and have our being in you it would not merely be words that we're familiar with but Lord we pray that this would be our experience not only in this hour but God our experience in this life in you and it's in Jesus name we pray amen 
So you may have noticed when the scripture was read that the Apostle Paul said something totally astounding. That is, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now this is not isolated to the book of Ephesians. We see this in the book of Colossians. We see this in 1 Corinthians. This truth, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now you know that sounds like a simple thought, right? But some people get confused around this. They do. Uh, and, and I just invite you to just reflect with me for a moment because some people think that Jesus is merely a great religious teacher who taught uh, on ethics on occasion. There are some people around the world who merely think that Jesus was a great prophet. And we're aware in some parts of the world, uh, maybe people of Hindu background, they think that Jesus is one of many gods. And then we're aware that an atheist or agnostic might believe that Jesus was merely a good man. But the scripture is affirming many astounding things. And one of those astounding things is that not only did Jesus Christ birth the church through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and sending the power of the Holy Spirit, but he birthed the church and sustains her by serving as the head of the church. Now, here's why this is relevant. There's a lot of confusion in regard to who Jesus is. And so let me illustrate it this way. Years ago, I went door to door. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I went door to door, knocking uh, on doors. That's what you do when you go door to door, pardon me. And, and I would enter into conversations with people around the gospel. There's a reason, a context for that. Done this in many different parts of the world. And, and I will never forget one lady's response. She said this. She says, I like going to church from time to time, but I just wish you guys wouldn't make such a big deal about that Jesus thing. <laughs> now, we can understand someone saying that who doesn't have a Christian background, but what about within the church? I, I remember our family was hiking in the Appalachian Mountains a number of years ago, and as we were hiking... Uh, three uh, Indian background or persons from India who were three young PhD students at Georgia Tech came alongside us and we began striking up conversation. And you're aware in Western culture to jump into religious conversations when you first meet somebody, that's a little awkward. But around the world, people in many parts of the world love to engage around uh, religion and, and belief. And so it wasn't long until, because I've spent a lot of time in India, I was engaging and we were having conversation. I'm not under the illusion that the three of them are going to come to know Jesus. They're intellectual. I'm mindful that it's usually a process accompanied by the Holy Spirit, like a lot of Westerners. And so I'm thinking, Lord, just give me wisdom to plant seeds in this conversation. And then one of them asked me a very thought-provoking question. He said this, Paul, could you tell me why are so many Christians and churchgoers in your country just like everybody else? And I said, huh. you know, the New Testament talks about that, that people are wheat and tares are actually sewn together. I said, I said well, maybe, maybe everybody might not know Jesus because some people haven't allowed the words of Jesus to just let Jesus speak for Jesus. You know that happens. I, I remember 
in South Georgia a number of years ago, and I'm going to share a story about a, a Baptist, but I want you to understand, if you've got a Baptist background, man, you are loved, know that, and please understand that I'm a kingdom person, Jesus' kingdom, okay? So you need, and some of my best friends are Baptists. That sounds, that sounds like I'm confessing something, doesn't it? <laughs> So I want you to know I'm not picking on you that this is just how the story went down. That this county in South Georgia, they were voting whether or not to become a wet county or a dry county. Whether to sell alcohol in their county or not sell alcohol in the county. And one of the councilmen who was going to vote dry was actually Southern Baptist. And so someone stood up before the council and they asked this question of the Southern Baptist member of the council and said, hey, isn't it true that Jesus turned water into wine? And the councilman responded, why, yes, he did, and I've always had a problem with Jesus for doing that. <laughs> now, please understand, I mean, as Methodist Christians, we care deeply about people who are addicted or abuse alcohol, and that is a serious issue. I'm not making light of that. Here's the point that many people don't let Jesus speak for Jesus. A lot of people in circles I've moved in through the years, and uh, at times I hear people say things and characterize Jesus and the way of Jesus in ways that I'm going, that doesn't line up with Jesus. Sometimes people say Jesus is nice. Jesus is nice. But if you looked up the definition of the word nice, the word nice literally means, and I'm pulling from Webster's and, and another source as well, means pleasant, pleasing, agreeable, and subtle. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus being nice and agreeable and subtle when he cleanses the temple? Twice? Or, or what about, was Jesus being subtle, agreeable, pleasing when he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? Now, please understand, this is not a fire and brimstone sermon, but I just ask that you think with me. Jesus doesn't only reference hell, he describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, of a unquenchable fire, Mark 9, where the worm does not die, Mark 9, where people gnash their teeth and are in anguish and regret, Matthew 13, and from which there's no return. And even we're to warn loved ones, Luke 16. And he calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25. And he compares hell to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Whatever hell is, it is no day at the beach. And the question is, is Jesus being pleasant, pleasing, agreeable, subtle? I'll never forget, you know, in United Methodist circles, uh, you hang out with a lot of different types of people. And I was, uh, I was in a context where I was with a group of progressive pastors. And one of them was responsible for doing the devotion. And he read a text. And then when he closed his Bible, he said, this was a day when Jesus didn't act very much like Jesus. What? And the point is, is that we are living in an age where men and women create caricatures and ascribe identity that we've invented, come up with, and we place it on Jesus. Loved ones, let's let Jesus, the head of the church, speak for himself. 
But understand, this is a problem that affects all of us. According uh, to Legionnaire Ministries in a survey, a study they did that was released in the last 10 days, listen to this, 43% of evangelical Christians. Now, I want to contextualize something. When you hear evangelical Christian, we are not talking about the highly politicized, polarized kind of stuff that we have seen in the news. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about persons who are in the, uh, aligned with the classic definitions of faith. 43% of evangelical Christians in the U.S. agree with this statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Put differently, that tells us that almost half of evangelical Christians in North America reject the doctrine of the incarnation, God in Christ. And loved ones, I want to submit to you before we go any further, that is a problem. We see the power of God in the ministry of Jesus as he stills storms, casts out demons, forgives sins, causes the blind to see, and raises the dead. And this is why the great Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones to India once said this when he was in dialogue with a Hindu intellectual. He said this, he said, I spent half my time trying to convert the world to Christ and the other half of my time trying to convert the church to Christ. It's important that we ask the question, if he is the head, then what qualifies him to be the head of the church? Who is Jesus? Let's answer that question for a few minutes. First of all, the scripture tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. That is the word, Jesus, and without him, was not anything made that was made. And the scripture, in case we're not catching it, clearly defines who this word is. The word made flesh, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus himself, God in a body. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet the scriptures inform us even more fully when it says, the word says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And you may remember weeks ago we dealt with the significance of this phrase, firstborn, because what it denotes is that the firstborn son in any family inherits everything. That's how it was in Middle Eastern culture. And this is what the writer is picking up on, that all of creation, all of history, will be summed up in the person of Jesus as he inherits his bride, as he inherits a new creation that he will reign over. This is what the New Testament teaches. But the word also informs us in the 16th verse of Colossians 1, for by him, Jesus, listen to this, loved ones, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, all things were created you see it? For him. Again, we will pick up in a few weeks on the bridal imagery of the body of Christ one day as we share in the Lord's Supper today. We know this is a precursor for the marriage feast of the Lamb. One day we will sit with Jesus at a marriage feast. We as the bride of Christ will be reunited with the bridegroom Jesus. And that is deeply significant. We will get to that a little later in the series unless you want to go for a few hours today. Just teasing. 
And so let's look, Colossians 1.17, he, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. Every atom, every proton, every neutron, every subatomic particle. Colossians 1.18, the scripture tells us he, Jesus, he is the head of the body of the church. And then Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the nature of God, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Albert Einstein wandered into the back of a church in Manhattan and sat on the back row and he listened to the sermon for a little while. And before the sermon ended, Einstein got up and walked out. And somebody on the street noticed that he had slipped out of church early and said, Albert, what did you think about the service? And Einstein remarked, that man in that pulpit could not possibly be seeing what I'm seeing in the heavens. Because if he were seeing what I'm seeing, he would speak of the Creator with such awe, such reverence, such a deep sense of majesty, rather than the casual way he refers to God. And it was Einstein who said something to this effect, let us not blaspheme God. When the author of Hebrews wrote these words, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. The author went on to write in verse 1 of chapter 2 in that context, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. And what we see emerging out of the scriptures is everything exists because of him. Everything is missing something without him. Not just missing something, but the central thing, the thing that supplies true meaning and purpose to all things. This is what is meant when the Bible says of Jesus in Romans 11, for from him and through him and for him all are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You know, as one pastor theologian put it, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon and gets right up to the edge with their family and friends and people who've traveled from around the world. Nobody gets to the edge of the Grand Canyon and goes, look at me. Look at how wonderful I am. No, we're, we're caught up in the transcendent glory of creation in that moment that speaks of a creator. And, and so, loved ones, in light of who Jesus is and the radiance of all of his glory, his eternal nature, his creative power, his, his sacrifice on the cross, look at him. Look at his glory. Look at his radiance. Look at his identity. Look at his beauty. Look at what he's done. 
Let us be mindful that he is almighty. He is alpha and omega. He is the amen. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Let us note he's the author of eternal salvation. He is the bread of life. He's the chief shepherd. He's the Christ of God, the cornerstone, the creator. He is our deliverer. He is our advocate. He is the desire of all nations. He is the door as the way to God the Father. He is the first and the last. He is God. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is I am. He is the image of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's king, king of the ages, king of kings. He is the lamb of God. He's the life, the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of glory, Lord of lords, Lord of all. He is our one mediator between God the Father and human beings. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's mighty God, morning star. He is our Passover, delivering us from God's judgment and wrath and light of our sin. He is the prince of peace, the resurrection and the life, the true vine, truth. He is the word of God, loved ones. He is the head of the church. And he is that because he's worthy. And he is worthy of your surrender of your life. He is worthy of your repentance of sin. He is worthy of your confession that he is Lord. He is worthy of turning our back on self-centeredness and surrendering to him. He is worthy because he is Lord. And as we come to this communion table today, as we have prepared our hearts Already, as Grant led us in the confession of sin, let's be mindful that we are not turning to just anybody. We are turning to God. In the name of the Father who loves you, in the name of the Son who has demonstrated this love, he's worthy, worthy of our repentance, worthy of living and surrender to him, worthy of our lives, Worthy of our time, our resources. He's worthy. That's why we've gathered here. That's why worship is a verb. It's not just something we attend. He is worthy. And as we turn to him today in this communion service, may we all meet with him in co-union. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, as we go through this liturgy in just a moment that is based on your word, We pray, draw near. You have said in your word, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And we pray for every heart that we move forward with hearts that are yielded to you. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.